Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Pella Window and Door of Georgia, viewed to be the best. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. So let me tell you a few things that I believe. Um, I believe that Saturday was awful. And as a fan of this team, I was just devastated because while I didn't go into the game feeling as confident as some of you did, I did think Georgia was going to win the game. I, I thought the way in which Georgia had played all season long was speaking to its chances of, of getting that done. And when it doesn't happen... I mean, it was just miserable. And in the game there on Saturday, you know, I'm, I joke about being a member of the coastal elite broadcast media. I'm sitting in the press box. And in the press box, you got to be, you know, level of decorum, professionalism, which I'm fine with. But I do get very anxious sitting in there. I get tied in knots and things like that. So I had to try to change the energy for a while on Saturday. Left the press box, went and found some Georgia fans to sit with and, you know, tried to just see if I could, by moving my body, move the way the game was going. And no, that didn't quite work out either. It was just an awful night. And I haven't been happy really since then. Most Georgia fans kind of feel the same way. But concurrent to that, there's also the excitement of going to Miami, facing Michigan in the college football playoff, being back in the playoff for a, for a second time. I, you know, Going into Saturday, I said this yesterday, we were doing our Chase the Championship show that you know there have only been 28 playoff spots ever awarded before yesterday uh, only been like 11 teams before yesterday that ever earned one you know the idea that Georgia gets a chance to do that again is a pretty cool thing and eventually all of dog nation will realize that but if you sort of read the room well today you realize that most Georgia fans aren't quite ready to talk about that yet so since this is a show for fans I'm going to try to reflect the fan conversation today as well as I possibly can before we get excited about Miami, before we talk about what Georgia still has in front of it in the month to come and hopefully into January there too, let's spend a little bit of time talking about what went wrong uh, against the Alabama Crimson Tide on Saturday. Something else that I believe is the main reason why most important issue that Georgia faced this past weekend against the Crimson Tide is that the greatest defense in the country, and I do believe it was the best defense in the country without, without a doubt, without a question, but it had a almost impossible task of stopping Alabama on Saturday. Bryce Young got whatever he wanted. Jamison Williams got whatever he wanted from the receiver position. Even with John Mechie leaving the game with an injury, it was still, until the late stage of the game, virtually impossible seemingly to stop anything that Alabama wanted to do through the air. And when you look at why Georgia lost the game, if you could only pick one thing to say, that's the thing that you would say more so than anything else. I'm sure Kirby and the staff uh, frustrated about that. I'm sure they'll spend the next few weeks hoping to make the next time better than the last time. But but on Saturday, it just simply wasn't good enough. Yet once again, if I'm going to do a good job of reflecting the fan conversation, it's also fair to point out that when Alabama built its lead, when it showed up in a big way offensively, that Georgia could not really do much to match that offensive firepower. That the defense may have been the main reason Georgia lost, but the offense, especially the offense through the air, was very slow in keeping up with how well Alabama was playing. And fairly or not, the quarterback conversation has dominated fan chatter uh, after Saturday night. So I'm just going to put it out there. We're just going to do this here for a little bit. We're going to try to figure out exactly what's going on with George and the quarterback situation. And then after that, we'll turn the page and hopefully get ready to 
to enjoy a great month and hopefully get ready to enjoy a really fun Orange Bowl win in the college football playoff against the Michigan Wolverines. But for now, there are a lot of fans that kind of wonder what is going on. Specifically, they wonder why there doesn't seem to be much consideration to play JT Daniels, who was the starting quarterback for this team in the beginning of the year. And by now, you've heard me say this a lot. That Smart treated Daniels differently than he's treated almost uh, any quarterback he's had in the, in, in the Smart era, dating back to his time here in 2016. You know, he's been very slow to want to name starting quarterbacks, identify starting quarterbacks. He's been very slow to want to do that. But going into this season, before spring practice began, right around the time that spring practice was starting, he was very open, very willing to say that JT Daniels is our guy. This is the guy that has proven with his body of work he's going to be our starting quarterback. And sometime over the course of this season, that just changed. And all of a sudden now, even when Stetson Bennett struggled on Saturday the, the, the way that he did, all of a sudden now, Daniels doesn't seem to be much of a consideration. Inserting Daniels in for Bennett doesn't seem to be much of a thought. And Smart doesn't seem to be all that willing to offer much as far as an explanation as to why. Let me give you a couple of examples. Smart on Saturday night in the post-game press conference uh, with fan chatter just blowing up all over the internet about the fact that Smart needed to take Stetson Bennett out of the game, put JT Daniels in the game. Smart was asked about, as you move forward, uh, move forward towards the uh, college football playoff, is this a decision that you will consider making? Will you consider making that quarterback swap? And Kirby Smart essentially kind of shrugged off the whole question. This is Kirby from Saturday. We have a decision to make every week at every position, but I have the utmost confidence in Stetson Bennett. I think he did some really nice things tonight, you know, but we, we, we go and reevaluate everything all the time. But, you know, he played well, and uh, it's tough, tough environment. We put him in defensively and didn't you know we have to be able to run the ball and have a little bit of semblance of balance and i feel like there was times tonight that we were getting into a you know scoring contest because our our defense didn't get stops um and you don't want to have to do that but i certainly have a lot of confidence in stetson and i have a lot of confidence in jt too i think a lot of what smart says there is probably right that one of the big issues for Georgia offensively was either by choice or by force, they just didn't run the ball very much, weren't able to do that. You know, a lot of fans thought, well, it's a conservative game plan from Kirby Smart. But the truth is, a lot of what happened there on Saturday was throwing the ball way more than Smart probably went into the game wanting to do. And a lot of that was kind of dictated by, um, by the way in which Alabama was playing, scoring at will. All of a sudden, Georgia did feel like it kind of got into that track meet, that shootout game against Alabama right there but then yesterday Smart was also a part of a press conference kind of previewing the Orange Bowl however most of the questions that Smart faced uh, with those Orange Bowl folks were about what had happened the night before in the loss to Alabama and this is the kind of thing a lot of Georgia fans are just not going to like but it is a part of the record you do need to hear this Smart was asked directly so you sort of shrugged off the notion of uh, of making that quarterback switch going into the Orange Bowl doesn't mean he won't do that, but he certainly didn't acknowledge that's a thought process that he's you know considering right now. How about during the game with with Georgia struggling to match what Alabama was doing offensively? Did you think about making that switch during the game? And this is what Smart said yesterday afternoon uh, during his Orange Bowl preview press conference. As far as the, the stats and JT question, no, we never discussed that on the headphones last night. And, uh, you know, obviously we have to play better in a lot of areas, but to put 
um, uh, any part of that blame or all that blame on stats. And there's a lot more uh, to it than that. And uh, we got to play better around him. We got to play better on special teams, defense, and really all facets of the game. There was there were some really, really, really good throws last night by Stetson. Some throws that only his guy could catch the ball, and he made some good plays. And uh, we got to continue to work on the poor decisions and, and a couple of the throws there that were uh, picked off. You know, there, there's a part of me that, and listen, I loved Bobby Cox as the former Braves manager, but there's a part of me that feels like Kirby Smart sounds like the way that Bobby Cox used to sound in some of his press conferences when his starting pitcher may have gotten drilled in a playoff game or something like that. Oh, listen, we thought he pitched pretty well. Just a pitch here, pitch there. It's a totally different ball game. And, you know, sometimes statements like that have a way of feeling too casual when Bobby Cox would have said that when Brian Snicker sometimes says some of the same kind of stuff now. And for Kirby Smart there, there is – that there's an idea that that what he says there in, in describing all of this just sort of feels a, a a little bit too casual. I get that. Now, one thing that he says that I, I kind of agree with is that ultimately, even though some of the personal shots that Bennett takes sometimes, some of the, I would say, below-the-belt cheap stuff that some fans throw out there at him is kind of related to his stature, his physical limitation, things like that. I mean, ultimately, the way that Bennett hurt you on Saturday, and I truly believe this is true and Smart acknowledges it there, is not about not being big enough or strong enough arm or things like that. He just made some bad decisions. And and ultimately, when when Bennett has gotten George in trouble, that's really been the thing. It's his decision-making, not any kind of physical limitation, even though as a you know, recruit, former walk-on, and, and that's been well-documented by now. But, but the thing that has hurt Bennett in the big games, I don't believe has been anything physical. I, I believe it's been his his – just decision-making, that's been the thing that's kind of hurt him more than anything else. But when you hear those two quotes from Kirby Smart, I don't think you can determine anything else other right now than the fact that they're just not considering playing JT Daniels. And maybe that changes sometimes over the course of this month, but for now, Daniels just does not appear to be an option. Fairly or not, that just seems to be what this is. So let me take a couple minutes here for something. I'm going to try to do this as quick as I can. Can we try to figure out why? I mean, can we try to figure out what this is? Because all of this, I've, I've said this so many times over the course of the last few weeks, I am not going to pretend this is not weird. Of course it's weird that the guy you named as the starting quarterback at the beginning of the season has now been replaced by a former walk-on, a you know a player of, from a recruiting standpoint of a, a much less of a stature than, than, the, than the player profile that, that Daniels brought in. Of course this is weird. But just because it's weird doesn't mean it's wrong. But, but, but of course, this is a, a little bit weird. So let's just do the best we can to figure out. And this is going to leave most of us unsatisfied. But, but let's try to read between the lines on this. Let's try to figure some of this out. Let's just try to figure out kind of where all of this is. And as I've said, to me, the most interesting chapter in all of this recently is that game for Georgia against Tennessee, the game that was on CBS. Remember this? This is, um, you know, Georgia up there in Knoxville, you know, winning the game, pulling away late. And there was the, the conversation between Jamie Erdahl, the sideline reporter. It was Gary Danielson, the analyst, and obviously Brad Nessler, the, the, the play-by-play voice. And they were talking about, about JT Daniels. And the, the, the phrasing that they used, the, the chatter that they used, I think for a lot of people um, – was a little bit of, a, of, of an eye-opener because it seems like they were having a little bit more of a candid discussion about what might be happening with Daniels than maybe some of what had been happening around the Athens community over the course of the last couple of months. So as we try to decipher, if Daniels really isn't an option, then when did that become so? When did it become true that JT Daniels is not apparently even a consideration 
to play for Georgia right now. Let's go back to the Tennessee game a few weeks ago. This is audio from the CBS broadcast. Take a listen. They get kind of tired of trying to tackle number three late in the game. Jamie? Well, you mentioned potential seeing JT Daniels here in the fourth quarter. There's a lot of commentary about this quarterback dynamic, and Kirby Smart has maintained confidence in both of these quarterbacks, and I feel it's important to tell everybody that the dynamic between Stetson Bennett and JT Daniels on the sideline is truly leaving Stetson as the starter. JT supports him in a way that all quarterbacks do, talking over indicators of coverage and what they're seeing, but it's it, it's not as if these two are still battling. The team understands that this is Stetson's spot, and JT is working with him hand-in-hand. Hand. We saw JT's parents, Steve and Allie, outside the hotel this morning as the new lights going to get another first down and get into Tennessee territory. This is the first week that he's felt good enough. There's his mom and dad. You can't look more like your dad than you. <laughs> he does. He does. But uh, they said that this week, Jordan Palmer, his personal quarterback, guru, coach, whatever you want to call it, flew into Athens, and they kind of went through all his mechanics and all that, trying to get ready for the end of the season. So now JT Daniels has to be ready. Is there going to be a game? You know, when, when is it? Is it going to be the SEC championship game or playoff game? where they may need him, and that's the discipline he has to do. He owes it to his teammates to be ready if it's needed. So there was a lot about that that got some attention at the time. We talked about this on the show when it happened. Nestler saying this was the first week that Daniels felt dot, 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 and he didn't finish the sentence. You know, the idea that Jordan Palmer came in that week to work on his throwing mechanics, it's a long way to travel. You certainly can't do that each and every week. That in itself felt you know, a little bit weird with all of that. But ultimately, you couldn't really tell what was going on with Daniels because of that, but the way in which Erdahl and Danielson and Nestler spoke about it led you to believe that something was kind of going on with JT Daniels leading that game. So last week, and most of you know this, we had Brad Nestler from CBS Sports on our show Dog Nation Daily. And so what I asked Brad last week was, hey, when y'all talked about Daniels during the CBS broadcast, it certainly seemed like y'all felt like that, that you know, you had been made aware of some information that, that you thought was interesting. And so I just asked, you know, Nestor point blank, based on the conversations that you've had, why do you think that Stetson Bennett's been playing? And as of late, Daniels hasn't been playing at all. I'm going to break this up into two clips, but this is Nestler offering an explanation for kind of what he's learned about Daniels and the genesis for this was the clip from the CBS broadcast you just heard. Here's the first one from Nestler. That's a loaded question. Yeah. Um, I, I think, you know, if, if Stetson would have struggled at any point, I think, you know, and JT was healthy at the right point, they probably would have switched. I think you just got to the point where you're going, man, this is not broken. And, uh, you know, I, I've kind of always been in Stetson Bennett's corner, not against JT Daniels at all. I mean, think he's a good kid and a great quarterback and all of that but you know how do you pull a guy I kind of think back and this goes way back and people aren't going to realize this that your young listeners won't get this but the year the Dolphins went undefeated and won the Super Bowl you know Bob Greasy got credit for that and he's one of my great friends and a great partner for 10 years Uh, that probably helped him get in the Pro Football Hall of Fame Earl Morrill played most of that season at quarterback and that's how they won about 14 of those 17 games, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. So um, you, you're maybe not always the five-star guy, but as far as I'm concerned, Stetson Bennett's been a five-star performer. So um, it's just bad to let him keep playing. So the phrase that Nestler uses there that sticks out to me is, and admittedly I'm reading into this a little bit, but the notion that if Daniels could have been healthy at the right time, 
he may have been more of a consideration to return as, as Georgia's starting quarterback. And that leads me to believe, and as I said before, I, I'm reading into this a little bit, but that leads me to believe that a lot of what's going has gone on with Daniels must have been health-related. Not to say that he's not healthy now, but when Georgia made its consideration for who its quarterback down the stretch was going to be, maybe there's a chance that that Daniels at the time just wasn't healthy enough to be the guy they felt like turning to. And when it comes to the reps that you have to split up in practice, you know, this notion that you can split up reps and have a quarterback ready enough to go on a Saturday, that's probably not as easy to do as sometimes we we assume that it, that it is because if you're splitting up reps too much then the quarterback that ultimately starts for you is only half as ready to play as he otherwise could have been listening to Nestler there you know kind of leads you to believe that that Daniel's health has been a part of this discussion even if he is healthy now but it's actually the second part of what Daniel of what Nestler said when he was on Dog Nation Daily on Thursday that I think is the most eye-opening here because this is the part where he really gets into what was going on there on that CBS telecast from the Tennessee game when the Daniels conversation came up there was something that Nestler said on our show on Thursday that really got my attention. In light of everything that's going on with the quarterback right now, this is certainly worth hearing from Thursday's edition of our program. And, and then going back to you know running into Steve and Allie uh, uh, Daniels, it was just outside our hotel, and you know we were talking, and at that time they were really excited. They thought they, that he was going to see. I think uh, his dad said uh, significant more reps, which is you know football terminology for all of us, and especially a dad of a quarterback. Um, and so, you know, they thought he was going to play a lot that day, and he didn't, I don't think he played at all. And so I'm sure they were disappointed. But, uh, you know, they said that week that uh, uh, Jordan Palmer had been in Athens, and, and he's kind of his JT's uh, quarterback guru. He does that with a lot of players in, in college and pro football. And he had been in town, and they'd gone through all his mechanics and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, he was fired up to play that day, and uh, they expected him to play a lot. And that's that's where that story came from. It's just kind of a chance meeting outside a hotel. <laughs> so I find this to be fascinating. And here's where I'm different than some of you. Like some of you have watched what played out on Saturday for Georgia, the quarterback spot, and said, hey, Georgia definitely needs to make a change. Georgia definitely needs to insert JT Daniels, definitely needs to do this. And Kirby Smart's not doing this because he's so stubborn. Like, that's where I'm different than some of you. I am absolutely willing to consider that Smart, knowing far more about this situation than I do, is making the right choice. Uh, even if it's the weird choice, it may not necessarily be wrong. I am totally open to the idea that Smart's making the, the, the right choice here when it comes to, to, to playing Bennett over Daniels because of reasons that, that you know Smart might know for all of this. And the other thing that I, I'm never going to do is when there's a situation that I don't fully understand, my immediate response is not going to be to assume the worst. That Smart's not doing this because of ego. Smart's not doing this because of his stubbornness. I'm not going to necessarily assume the worst as, as far as why something's playing out in kind of a weird way. Something's kind of playing out in a way that I don't have much of an explanation for. I'm not, I'm not going to do that. But the one thing I think we can all agree on, whether it's the right choice or the wrong choice to play Bennett over Daniels, the one thing we can all agree on is this. Kirby Smart has not done a good job of explaining this. 
And when Georgia's winning games, when it's 12-0, and when it's blowing everybody out, it's kind of easy to sort of shrug all that off and say, oh, that's just Kirby being Kirby. He likes giving it to the media. He likes keeping everything a secret. He runs a tight ship. All of that's very easy to explain away and ignore as long as he's stacking up wins, one right after the other, and to his credit, he's stacked up a lot of wins. But when Georgia loses a game on Saturday, and when quarterback's at least part of the story, even if it isn't the main reason Georgia lost the game, all of a sudden those quirky personality traits of you know excessively secretive and you know things like that, all of a sudden those traits don't quite seem so endearing anymore. And it's one thing for you know me, blowhard that yells into a microphone for a living, not to know what's going on. It's even another thing for the average fan to not really feel like he knows what's going on. But it's a little bit eye-opening that apparently JT Daniels himself doesn't know what's going on either. Because according to Nestler, Daniels went into the Tennessee game thinking he was going to play, and then he didn't. The disconnect here is not just between, you know, you know, uh, uh, you know, blowhards in the media and the average fan and Smart. There may be a little bit of a disconnect between Daniels and Smart himself there, too. So ultimately, the decision to play Bennett or Daniels rests with Smart, with influence by guys like Todd Munkin. And we have every reason to believe that Smart's going to make the choice that's the, in the best interest of UGA. But as he does that, it would probably serve him well to maybe explain his reasoning a little bit better. If not to you and me, then maybe the quarterback's involved. I'm Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily quarter, uh, quarterback. Yeah, I've got quarterback on the brain, uh, I guess, a little bit right now. It's the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. We're happy to have you with us today, no matter how you get to us. Live on video, 945 for our first and 15 at dognation.com and on the Dog Nation app. 10 a.m., Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, Radio Noon, Athens Sports Radio 960, The Ref, Podcast, the Apple Player, Spotify, the Google Player, posting the show at the worldfamousdognation.com. Just really happy to have you with us. And before I shout out and give a hello to my friends at Pella Window and Door of Georgia, let me say this. That I think when you kind of put the quarterback stuff out there, when you kind of say what needs to be said about that, eventually it does become easier to turn the page. And it's maybe a little easier for me to turn the page than this for some other people, but eventually everybody will turn the page. There will be happier days again for Georgia football. There just will be. Folks will be excited about Michigan. They'll be excited about the college football playoff. It's a game that Georgia's expected to win, even if you don't quite trust the odds makers right now. Um, there will be happy days again, but it's, it's almost like you can't fully enjoy what's to come until you do your full level of catharsis on what went wrong there. And so today we're going to give folks a chance to do that we're gonna try to thread that needle here pretty thin all the way around and you know see if we can figure out how to look ahead and have a good time but also look back and let folks kind of have their say about the situation from saturday of course our friends at pella window and door of georgia make it all possible you know they equip your house with energy efficient windows and doors and this is just one of the things right now that's so important because we're in a time in which energy bills are expensive and you know, the, the heat that's running around your house, that, that, that's one of those things that you don't want that escaping out. You don't want, um, you know, that, that energy, you know, leaving your home. You want to keep it in there where, where, where it's nice and toasty and warm on a cold winter night, which we've had a lot of those here lately. I had a great uh, lunch the other day with our friends from Pella Window and Door of George. I love what they're doing. at a beautiful showroom. We're going to be talking to you more about that coming up in the uh, weeks to come. Just an unbelievable place for you to really kind of get in there and kind of lay hands 
on some of the options that you have available to you, uh, exterior doors and entry doors and, uh, you know, great looking windows, things like that. Pella Window and Door of Georgia has got a lot coming for you when it comes to all of that. Can't wait to tell you about a lot of this kind of stuff coming up here in the new year there as well. Also, great savings is a fun thing to be able to do for you there, too. So make sure you check out Pella Window and Door of Georgia for all of that, including right now you can get 40% off qualifying installations or 0% APR for 24 months. That's a great way to get great savings on something you know you need. Better windows and doors for your home there. Uh, you get that there. Also a great way to get in touch. How about PellaofGA.com slash DogNation? That's PellaofGA.com slash DogNation. You can also give them a call, 678-638-1496. That's 678-638-1496. Pella Window and Door of Georgia is viewed to be the best. All right, we're going to do a very quick version of Around the Doghouse, and we're going to get John Stinchcomb here coming up in a moment. We'll talk to John about, uh, obviously, a, a lot that's uh, going on with the uh, dogs here right now. But first, though, it's Around the Doghouse, and it's uh, assisted today by our friends at AAA. And, you know, the other big thing that came out, and I, I mentioned this, you know, just kind of briefly off the top, is you got to play better defensively, really, in all games. Certainly, you know, think about Michigan in the college football playoff, Alabama after that. But you just got to find a way to get more stops. You just do. And I think it's unreasonable to say, well, you're going to, you know, you're going to hold Alabama to 13 points. You're probably not going to do that. Um, uh, you know, certainly that's probably not going to be a reasonable expectation. But is it reasonable to expect Georgia to get a few more stops than it did Saturday? Yeah, it, it is. Uh, in fact, I think Saturday's game could have felt different. If you got a couple more stops, a couple key moments, if you could find a way to get that defense off the field a couple more times, even Saturday's game could have felt like a far different result had you been able to do that and like the one thing I'm not going to do is try to pretend to be something I'm not because the honest truth is like I really I'm not smart enough to tell you what you do I mean there are a couple things on Saturday where Young was so good where where, where obviously Jamison the, the wide receiver was so good I was just kind of left throwing up my hands like I, I really I really don't know how how you stop this. I mean, the one thing I think it becomes easy to say, even if I can't really quite prescribe how it gets done, is you do have to get more quarterback pressure. You know, we knew that even when George was at its best, if it had any vulnerability whatsoever, it might be through the air with those big uh, time passing plays. That if Georgia had any vulnerability, that might be the area that could be exploited. And that's not going to change between now and the end of the season. So therefore, you've got to do everything you can to to mitigate that. Everything you can do to negate that as a as a disadvantage. Which means that you just got to try to find a way to get him on the ground. And if you can play him again, you got to do that. You can't let him stand there and pick you apart because he showed you on Saturday that is exactly what he will do. And that's no easy task. It is no easy task getting to to, um, uh, to Bryce Young. But if George is lucky enough to play them again, that's the way that's going to have to go down. So hopefully for George, and we're going to spend a lot of the month talking about this, against Michigan, it can earn its way to that Alabama rematch. I don't expect the Crimson Tide to have an issue with Cincinnati. So hopefully Georgia can earn its way into that rematch in that opportunity and have a better result the next time around. I certainly am open to the possibility that will be the case and can be the case, but obviously a lot that went wrong on Saturday has to be reversed by the time these two teams play again, if they indeed do. That is around the doghouse. It's assisted today by our friends at AAA, and of course I love having AAA a part of what we're doing here on Dog Nation Daily each and every day on this program. When I'm traveling a lot, you know, this time of year I am doing a lot of that kind of traveling and things like that. It is uh, just really fun to uh, to just be a part of everything they have going on there. 
So one of the things that also, in addition to the legendary roadside assistance that AAA provides, uh, they're also the name to know for auto insurance there as well. This is a, a new website that I've want to make sure you know about it's triplea.com slash auto insurance a great looking website that provides you all the options that are available to you when it comes to your auto insurance needs it's triplea.com slash auto insurance you can also give them a call 866-380-1637 that's 866-380-1637 and you can find out about how you can switch and save with triple a today big savings a lot of extra money in your pocket triple a provides all of that for you so make sure you check them out triplea.com slash auto insurance for a lot more of that uh, there today. All right, good to have you with us on the program today. As I've said now a couple of times, there will be happier days to come uh, around here. Today is not necessarily one of those, but we will obviously be very excited about the college ball playoff eventually. And the truth is, I'm kind of already kind of excited about it here today. I mean, I've already done, seems like, 15 hours of programming since the game on Saturday. So for the most part, I've sort of spit out everything that I had to spit out. But I wanted to give the Dog Nation daily audience its chance to to, to have its voice in all of this. And we'll, on, com- on, on video, read some of your comments later on. A lot of you sharing your thoughts on social media there, too. So we'll cover all those bases today. But a lot of you also want to hear what John Stinchcomb has to say about all of this. His thoughts, what went wrong against Alabama, what can go better next time. And, oh, yeah, a little bit of a preview for an Orange Bowl, a spot that Georgia hasn't been in quite some time. Let's do it all right now. Classic City Lager Insider Update. Great to welcome John Stinchcomb here to Dog Nation Daily. And great to have all of you with us, too. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. John, some days on the show, more fun than others. This is probably an example of the latter here. Not a lot of fun talking about a uh, day on Saturday. That was just really pretty rough from the word go. Alabama putting a lot of pressure on Georgia with its ability to just strike from the air. And the explosive offense that the Crimson Tide has become famous for was as good Saturday as probably it's been certainly in big game situations, and Georgia just really had no answer for it on either side of the ball. I know you're as, as disappointed as about it as I am. I, I guess just give me your initial thoughts here, and then we'll kind of you know drill down on some of the issues beyond that. But what was it like taking all this in on Saturday? Sure. Like most dogs, we're all licking our wounds today, right? You're questioning everything, and you're going – you know, how could it turn out the way that it did? There were such high uh, expectations going into this game, and really you saw this as an opportunity, and I think rightfully so, that uh, this Alabama team isn't built the exact same way that we've seen so many times before, and Georgia has the roster to finally overcome that hill that's been so high to climb, but yet it seemed to play out very similar to, to ways in the past where Alabama looked like the superior team. So with that said, um, having having seen that game and understand um, a little bit better understanding of, of what how it played out, I think uh, there were some just missed opportunities. And you know, like many others, I was kind of quick to jump um, to point some fingers and say uh, there were some individual efforts that that fell short of where we need to be and. You know, I think you're trying to look for drastic changes, like, golly, maybe we need to revamp things. But I don't think that's the case. Um, having tried to settle down and, and really hone in on what went wrong, I think there's some, some easy things to point to. I think what got Georgia to this opportunity was incredible execution and, and playing at a high level and not uh, missing very many tackles. And the very first two things that – stand out uh, from this performance is uh, 
busted coverages, something that we haven't seen very much of Georgia, and missed tackles. I mean, that's two things that we've hung our hat on all season long uh, that have defined and really put this defensive group in that conversation in one of the best ever. And then on, on one of the biggest stages, especially the biggest stage for the season, um, that just wasn't how it played out. It wasn't who Georgia was on Saturday, and I think that's probably the, the biggest uh, surprise from that game. I'm not smart enough to know how you defend what Alabama did well, but to me it seems pretty simple that, and I hear people say this in the NFL all the time, that you're going to have to keep sending pass rushers until you finally get to them, and I realize that leaves you all very exposed, you know, on the back end uh, when you know the, the more and more aggressive you get there. But it's it's pretty clear that what happened on Saturday didn't work. It was, I, I don't know, it, it just seemed a little soft. It seemed a little too easy for Young. That that even if you accelerate your own demise, it seems like Georgia's got to really take it to him more next time and as I said before I'm not going to pretend to be you know smart enough to devise a game plan here because I'm not but but that's what my eyes were telling me on Saturday is man you just got to keep dialing it up until you get to him even if you're taking an incredible risk by doing so I'm oversimplifying it John but that's the one thing I had on my mind as I was watching it yeah I think it was a progression I think we witnessed a progression in thought from the defensive side of the ball as the game played on I think the initial hope was that uh, we as a defense could affect the passer with four four rushers. And as, as the game progressed, that wasn't the case. Um, you know, outside of Neal, I, I thought we had an advantage, our defensive front against their offensive line. And that wasn't the case, <laughs> especially, you know, on the our defensive left across there, across from them on the right side, we were ineffective. So then you start adding more pressure you bring we've started bringing linebackers in the middle something that we've done really well uh with in 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 games and alabama was picking that up i mean i I credit our linebackers as really good pass rushers and uh we weren't we weren't getting home and when we did we didn't bring him down so there was a lot of line games that we were running uh where the defensive tackle and defensive ends were twisting and when that defensive tackle gets outside, you become the contained guy. You don't contain Bryce Young, he'll make you pay. And he did time and time again. So when we're dialing up these pressures, and more and more so, you saw uh, more in that second half, um, you got to get home. You got to affect that passer. Otherwise, you're putting your secondary in a position where they're more vulnerable. I mean, it's, it's hard. Uh, when you don't have extra bodies on that back end to keep tight uh, coverage. And, and I think that's what we saw. Bryce had more time um, against the pressure than our defense is used to, and it put more pressure on that back end, and, and Alabama made, made us pay for it. A lot of quarterback talk before you join us today, and that's obviously been the thing that has dominated the fan chatter since then. And I made it pretty clear that I believe that it was the defensive failings and not quarterback that was the main reason that Georgia lost on Saturday. But certainly in the comparison to Alabama, quarterback is one of the spots where Georgia appears to be inferior right now. So I think it's fair to have the discussion. And, John, I'm totally open to the idea that Kirby Smart's playing the right guy between Bennett and Daniels. Just because it's a weird choice doesn't mean it's the wrong choice. Smart knows far more about this than than, than I do, and I have 
certainly every reason to believe that he'd make the most logical choice based on his understanding of the situation. I just wish he was better at explaining it. I, I really do, because when Smart kind of shrugs off the question and almost to a degree gaslights people about about you know e- even asking you know stuff like this, I think he, I think he actually ends up making things worth on both Bennett and Daniels. I think people end up being harder on Bennett because. You know, of their frustrations. I think people conjure up these reasons why Daniels might not be playing, and all of this could be solved if Smart could be just a little bit more forthright on this. I'm not going to pretend that Smart owes us everything, whether it be fans, media, or whatever else, but, boy, it seems like a little more information and a little bit more acknowledgement of what seems to be the common opinion of a large number of people. It seems like that would serve this whole issue a little bit better. Do you agree with that? Yeah, and, and that's the problem. I think it's created controversy where it didn't need to be. Uh, it, it, let's take that 30,000-foot view of team identity and, and how this this year, 2021 Georgia Bulldogs, how we're built. We're built with defense first. Don't turn the ball over. We're going to be able to run the ball and play action pass. And that fits Stetson's game well. And when you get into a game where the defense hasn't kind of held up to their end of the expectation, at least, um, with how games play out, and you get down two scores or even three scores, uh, something that's unheard of for for this year, um, and you're trying to make your offense something that they're not accustomed to, which is straight-up spread. I mean, spread's a part of the package, but purely pocket passing, spread offense, that's not Stetson's game. Um, and, and so I think some of that is, is a little unjust in, in just his evaluation because if we're going to pick players, there's a number of guys that we can highlight. I mean, obviously Stetson's the quarterback. It's the marquee player. Everyone knows he's going to be under more pressure than anyone else on that field. Um, and, and through a costly pick six, uh, that, that pretty much put that last nail in the coffin for Georgia on Saturday. But, you know, if we're playing this game of let's pick one player and, and highlight where he screwed up, there's plenty of, of blame to go around. And uh, the way Georgia is built this year, I think it fits how Stetson plays and the way the, the, the game is supposed to be structured for Georgia to find success. Those things marry well. It certainly didn't on Saturday, and he's not the only one to play. So here is where, I'm, I mean, a lot of people don't want to hear this today, but I still think Georgia win a rematch, and I still think Georgia win a rematch playing with the team that it played on Saturday. And maybe they won't, but it's not like I'm going to spend the rest of the month hiding under a bed here. I mean, Georgia played awful on Saturday, but there are a lot of guys who are I would assume chomping in the bit to do like Bryce Young did. You know, the Alabama performance against Auburn wasn't so great either and a lot a lot of very good players redeemed themselves with how they played against Georgia to think that there's not guys on the Georgia side that wouldn't like to do the same thing in a potential January showdown uh, of, of course they would there are a lot of folks out there going to tell you today that um, that Georgia's doomed to get slaughtered by Alabama again if they have that rematch maybe that's the case but but I'm not conceding anything right now, John. Um, even in a moment like this where the, the mood seems as dark as it possibly could be, um, I, I guess I'm just a glutton for punishment, but I still think Georgia could potentially win here. What do you think about the potential of a UGA-Alabama rematch? Uh, I look forward to it. Now, priority one is beat Michigan and 
candidly, I think that's a good matchup for us, just the way that Michigan's structured with their run first. I think our defensive line has proved time and time again that we're effective against a, a traditional run, uh, run first offense. Um, now, let's move on to Alabama, at least for this discussion. Yeah. And, and the campaign's got to be stopped to eight, right? You, you can't let eight in a row from Alabama occur for this Georgia team and, and really this Georgia program because this team isn't responsible for the seven losses that we've taken on the chin from, from Alabama in the, the last times we've played. Uh, but to do that, I, you know, I think we double down on who we are, and that's not something that we – put on display on Saturday. I think we got away from who we were. I think, you know, the, the failure to execute on defense, the allowance of so many points, you know, let's be honest, what, what hurt us most, they've got two marquee high level players on that offensive unit and Bryce young, you give that man time, whether it's in the pocket or, or what he creates for when, once he leaves it, that's what hurt us most. And they've got a, they've got a, high-level elite wide receiver in Jamison. So those two players um, dictated the outcome of the game on Saturday, in my mind, and, and we cannot let that happen. And when we bring pressure, and there was times where we, we had a hand on, on Bryce and could not bring him down, that can't happen. You just can't let that happen. Uh, the other two things that really stick out to me is, is third-down conversion and red zone. You know, any, any offense, when you come back, those are – two of the main statistics that you're going to look at. And, you know, early on, uh, just going through, there's there's a couple of key ones, offensive and defensively, that, that stood out to me. Uh, early That first series where George Pickens slips coming out of his route or A.D. Mitchell, um, you know, that either short-arming it or doesn't get his head around on it slant. Later in the, you know, in, in the second half where that's another failed third-down conversion. And you look at Alabama's conversions, and you know Devontae Wyatt misses a tackle. Who you know, I'm a huge Devontae Wyatt fan, so it's not like I'm bagging on these guys. But there's individual plays that you can look at and say, uh, we're in position here, we're in position to succeed. And you know, everybody gets thrown under the bus when you lose like this, coaching included. Um, but to me, given the opportunities. I think some will play out different, and, and you'll just make different decisions next time around. But um, I think it's important, first and foremost, to get that opportunity back, and that means beating Michigan. It is our Classic City Logger Insider Update with John Stinchcomb here right now. And, of course, it was great to have the folks at Classic City Logger out with us this past Thursday. We were at Marlowe's Tavern, and so many of you have been enjoying that all season long. In fact, I uh, heard from a few of you there on Saturday in and around uh, Mercedes-Benz Stadium, you were enjoying some classic city lager during your tailgate, and I'm certainly glad about that because I love it. It's from Creature Comforts Brewing Company. It's a taste of Athens. I like it when I can't be in Athens. I like having a little Athens close to me, and that's certainly what classic city lager reminds me of from our friends at Creature Comforts. you got a lot of holiday parties coming up right now, a lot of fun things you're doing with friends, family, loved ones, everything in between. Classic city lager is a great addition to any gathering this time of year. You can pick it up whether you, wherever you're doing your shopping, available in six and 12-pack cans all year long, 365 days a year. It's a craft-style lager. It means it's got a really unique flavor. It's delicious, even though it's a lager-style beer, lighter in color. But uh, there is no sacrifice in flavor when it comes to this craft-style lager. It's classic city lager from our friends at Creature Comforts Brewing Company. It is good cold beer. So try yourself some today. So, John, in the little bit of time we have left, 
I'm sure you're like the rest of us. You're trying to kind of catch up here on exactly what Michigan brings to the table. The one thing, and I believe you touched on this a moment ago, it is a team that probably mirrors Georgia a little bit more than maybe some other teams you might expect to play in the college football playoff. Certainly if it had been Ohio State, that's a little bit more like the Alabama-type team. This Michigan team probably beat Ohio State using a Georgia-style game plan, albeit in their own stadium. There was certainly a lot of weather there that day. But you know, given the fact that these are not quite mirror images of each other, but but at least a little bit more similar similarities between these two opponents, what's your early take on the Georgia-Michigan matchup in the Orange Bowl? Well, I think it's more conventional. I think it's one of those physicality first games where uh, the the trenches matter more, <laughs> and I think that again swings back to the favor of Georgia and the way this team is built. Um, when when Georgia has struggled, it's because of elite quarterback play and, and really high-end wide receivers. I think historically you could point to a number of games where that's the case. I don't think that's how Michigan's built, just based on the you know two, three, four games that I've seen, um, seen them play. Now they play physical, they play disciplined, uh, they play passionate football. They've got good players, don't get me wrong. There's a reason why they're in the college football playoff. And, and there are no rollover. There's no cupcake games left. But if you're looking at the matchup, I think it's much more favorable than, you know, a Heisman Trophy most likely winning quarterback and uh, a receiver that has the ability that Jameson Williamson does. So um, is, is the matchup better? Um, at least it is on paper in my mind. But Michigan's a good team, and they're playing – they're playing good football. This is the time of year where, where you want to play good football. Now, what's crazy about college football is you have three and a half weeks <laughs> between your your last game and when you pick things up, back up at, at the end of the month. So um, that's a lot of time. It's a lot of time to kind of lose rhythm and, um, you know, that, that motor that's you got finely tuned, that's a lot of practice time without – getting back on the field when it when it really counts and there's good there there's pros and there's cons and i think the teams that manage that best um you're going to be able to identify pretty easily once uh, once it gets to kickoff yeah john i think that's exactly right i certainly appreciate you being here today i've loved your insight throughout this entire run here towards the postseason i know we'll get a chance to hear a lot more from you in the uh, weeks to come there too but uh just great stuff all the way around thank you for being here today as a part of our uh classic city logger insider update uh really good stuff and we will uh certainly look forward to uh seeing you again uh really soon john thanks so much for that appreciate that absolutely i'll say it's always great to be a dog and i for the fans that weren't able to be in the stands i think there's something that's noteworthy that's uh worth sharing and that's towards the end of the game fourth quarter games you know pretty much in hand and there is a a senior leader walking down the sideline uh he's pretty easy to notice it's it's jordan davis and he's he's tapping the the bottom side of his chin with his the the back side of his hand Hmm. saying keep your chin up okay and I, i think that's the perspective um that that this team has that they're not going to duck their heads and tuck their tails and say, you know, we're just inferior to Alabama and, and we don't belong at the top of the heap. And, yeah. and that message, I think, is probably going to resonate pretty loudly in the, in the halls of the Buttsmere as this team has, you know, the, the rest of the month 
to build on what they have, what they've established up to this point, and clean up the mistakes that they've made uh, this past Saturday. So it, it was really encouraging to me. It's kind of an insight and a, and a window into the mindset of the leadership of that team and, and where their heads are at. So I think that's very much worth sharing uh, to the rest of the dog nation. John, that's great stuff. Thanks for being here today. Certainly appreciate your time. Absolutely. Go dogs. Good stuff there from John Stinchcomb. I also want to say this really quickly. Uh, John, as I said before, been a great part of everything we've done with Chase for the championship over the course of the last few weeks, including being uh, at our Marlowe's Tavern event at Brookhaven this past Thursday. So much fun to have John, and I know dog fans had a great time interacting there. We said before, our friends at Classic City Lager were there at Marlowe's Tavern there on Thursday. And the other thing we got a chance to tell you about, we were at uh, that spot that's been kind of our home away from home for a long time. We've loved events at the Marlowe's Tavern in Brookhaven. We've really been to a lot of the taverns uh, there as well. But certainly the Marlowe's Tavern, uh, this experience this past Thursday, that great holiday gift offer that's ongoing right now. And I'll make sure you're aware of this because we've all got these gifts we've got to buy. It's not easy to do that sometimes. Well, the Marlowe's Tavern gift card is a great choice. And right now you get a great incentive if you buy one. If you buy the $50 Marlowe's Tavern gift card right now, they're going to give you a bottle of Michelle Brute sparkling wine as a way to say thank you there for that. It's a great way to ring in the new year, of course. And in addition to that, if you get the $100 gift card, not only do you get the Michelle Brute sparkling wine, but you also get a $20 complimentary gift card on top of that as a special thank you bonus. So stop by and see one of the taverns, uh, the one right there in your neighborhood, or go to marlowstavern.com and find out how you can pick up this great offer. But a great gift card holiday gift idea from our friends at Marlowe's Tavern. A great way to head towards Christmas and everything else happening this month and of course ringing in the new year there as well with our friends from Marlowe's Tavern. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. So I have a little bit of a goal here as we head towards the uh, the end of the month. Between New Year's Eve and in Miami and then heading towards april when we're going to be on the royal caribbean cruise my goal is i'd like to have a tan all winter long is it do you think i could do you think i could pull this off do you think i could get tan in miami in december and then stay tan through april when we're on the royal caribbean cruise that's kind of my goal i, I want to be i want this to be my tan winter that's that's what i'm kind of hoping hoping it can be there and obviously hoping for some georgia wins kind of go along with that obviously if we're lucky enough to be in indianapolis in january that's not gonna be so great on the old tan there but uh, but I am looking forward uh, to all that. By the way, <laughs> imagine these Michigan folks coming up. You know, uh, most of them are wider than the wind-driven snow. You imagine how they're going to handle that sun down there in Miami when they get there come December. But obviously, we got a long way to go before we get there to that. But that's kind of what I'm hoping to. I'm hoping to sort of see that tan show up and stay there all winter long. And of course, you're going to be talking about this Dog Nation cruise. Trust me when I tell you, this is the kind of thing you want to be a part of. I, I've really had a great time the last few days because I've heard a lot of you telling me that you plan on being on the Dog Nation cruise with us because you've heard me talking about all the great stuff happening with Royal Caribbean cruises all the time, whether you're on our cruise or your own Royal Caribbean cruise. Obviously, great ships, wonderful destinations. You've heard me talk about Perfect Day, Coco Cay, uh, the private island that's right there in the Bahamas. When we go on our Dog Nation cruise, Perfect Day, Coco Cay is going to be one of the stops that we make. On that uh, cruise vacation, this is going to be so much fun. I've already heard from so many of you who are planning on being a part of it. You actually booked your travel there as well, which is uh, certainly great news too. The easiest way for me to tell you to be a part of this is to simply go to dognation.com. There's a link right there at the top of the page where you can uh, do all this. 
on sale now. Your chance to go ahead and get your travel squared away to be with us. April 25th of the 29th, uh, sailing on the beautiful Independence of the Seas. And we're going to Nassau, Bahamas. We're going to Perfect Day, Coco Cay. We have some special Dog Nation-themed events while on board. Uh, fun. We're going to do like an NFL draft party, things like that. May have some special guests there as well. So much fun just being a part of one of the most magical vacations you can ever enjoy with our friends from Royal Caribbean. The Cruise and Vacation Authority is helping us book all of this. And if you go to dognation.com, you get a link there to them. So please be with us for the Dog Nation Cruise. Now, let's cruise around the SEC, courtesy of our friends at Royal Caribbean. I'll give you a few thoughts here on some of these bowl matchups. We'll obviously do more of this in the time to come. Um, you know, Georgia is a favorite against Michigan right now. As I said before, a lot of you probably not all that in love with the odds makers, just given the fact that uh, uh, they get it wrong between you know Georgia and Alabama. But you've got the situation with uh, Alabama and Cincinnati in the other playoff there in Dallas. No surprise, I guess, that Alabama chose Dallas. That's geographically a little closer for them anyway. And there'd been some chatter as of late that both Georgia and Alabama would have liked to have avoided Miami maybe for a multitude of reasons, but obviously Georgia had that choice taken from them. As far as the rest of the SEC goes here, nice graphic by our producer, Michael Carvel. I think Ole Miss Baylor is pretty fun sugar bowl, given the match of wits between the defensive mind of Dave Aranda, the offensive mind of Lane Kevin. That's actually a pretty fun bowl game. My guess is there's a ton of Ole Miss fans who show up there in New Orleans for that fairly close drive and kind of an Ole Miss flavor to New Orleans anyway. Uh, Baylor folks were just there a couple of years ago. There's not a ton of those fans anyway. Kentucky, Iowa, and the Citrus Bowl. What's the total for this? Probably about 29 points. <laughs> that may be the ex- expected total there for that. Uh, certainly, <laughs> certainly a three yards in the cloud of bus type, uh, cloud of dust type game. Uh, Mike Leach against his old team, Texas Tech, in the Liberty Bowl. Uh, South Carolina versus North Carolina. These two teams seemingly have played a lot. They played a lot, and Charlotte going to be playing again here right now. Uh, Tennessee gets bowl eligible in Josh Heupel's first year against Purdue. That should be a pretty fun game. Uh, Texas A&M, Wake Forest in the Gator Bowl. Wake probably seems like the exact worst kind of team for A&M to play, just simply because A&M has shown you this season has a hard time scoring points. That's something that Wake Forest does very easily. Arkansas, Penn State's probably a pretty fun Outback Bowl there. LSU makes a bowl. The Texas Bowl against Kansas State. You've also got Missouri Army in the Fort Worth Bowl, or the, I should say the Armed Forces Bowl. You know, Florida UCF is kind of a fun Gasparilla Bowl there, which is in Tampa, I believe. You know, these are two teams that, uh, you know, try to negotiate playing in the Danny White era as athletic director, did not want to play the two-for-one deal where Florida came to Orlando once and UCF went to Gainesville twice. And it seems obvious they should play, but they haven't. This is actually kind of a fun matchup between these two. And, of course, uh, Auburn's in the Birmingham Bowl against uh, Houston. I'm sure that's not exactly the most exciting thing for year one for for, uh, Brian Harson, but that's the uh, case there. So – you know, obviously the big story with the bowl is going to be who's playing, who's coaching. I mean, the 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 you know the crazy cycle that spins this time of year with college football news obviously impacts the college football postseason. But it doesn't change the fact that I'm still pretty excited about these bowl games all the way around. Some of these matchups I think are actually uh, pretty good. So that's kind of this theme there when it comes to the SEC. Other news you're probably aware of. Uh, Jay, you may be aware of. Let me tell you if you're not. So Jaden Hazelwood, former UGA commit, five-star wide receiver at Oklahoma. He put his name in the transfer portal. We talked about this the other day. 
and I had suggested I thought there was a chance that Georgia would have been interested in Hazelwood, probably more interested in Hazelwood than it may maybe would have been in Zach Evans, the running back leaving TCU, another name we used to talk about all the time. Well, whether Georgia was interested or not, Hazelwood has pretty quickly landed at uh, uh, Arkansas. Now, there's a couple things here. There's a connection with Hazelwood on the Arkansas staff going back to his time at Cedar Grove so that probably factors into this but there's also going to be folks who remember the way in which Oklahoma seemingly utilized the transfer portal a year ago to take Mike Woods away from the Arkansas program it seems like now Arkansas has kind of struck back with its own revenge getting Hazelwood here so this is Sam Pittman kind of doing what Sam Pittman's going to do which is be a factor obviously making Arkansas a little bit more of a presence and a force in the recruiting trail long way to go on that because Chad Morris was the worst recruiter in the SEC as a head coach when he was there in Fayetteville but Pittman's trying to change that and also now apparently going to be a pretty big factor for transfer portal names there too so that's pretty interesting and an update on a story we've kind of followed now for a while you wondered if Dan Lanning was going to emerge as a legit candidate at Oklahoma and to be frank I'm just never quite so sure how real this ever got there were multiple media reports connecting Lanning's name to the Oklahoma job. Ultimately, it is defense that, that Oklahoma goes in the direction of for its next coaching hire, but it's not the Georgia D.C., it's the Clemson D.C. It's Brent Venables who's going back to a spot that, that he once called home. Venables now head coach of the Oklahoma Sooners, and boy, you're talking about a big transformation. This is it. This is you know Oklahoma getting away from what has really defined the program for a long time now maybe Venables brings in a high-powered offensive guy but that's always the extra step right when you hire defensive head coach the most important thing for that defensive-minded head coach is the offensive hire that he makes because we do know offensive football is so important right now so there's going to be a little bit of a sea change a little bit of a of a perception transformation now for the Oklahoma program and for Brent Venables who waited a long time to be a head coach so much so that some folks wonder if there was some reason he wasn't being a head coach or that he never would be a head coach well apparently the weight paid off for him because he gets one of the biggest jobs that exists in the sport Venables going to Oklahoma that means that Lanning for now is staying put although the chatter that Lanning got around the Oklahoma job you know kind of the same way that once a recruit gets an offer from like say Georgia all of a sudden there's 25 offers that come flooding in right after that the coaching carousel might spin a little bit of the same kind of thing and that now that Lanning seemingly was fairly deeply connected at least in the reports and the rumors to the Oklahoma job maybe that causes his name to surface up for some of these other jobs there as well so you might not be done sweating it out for Dan Lanning's future in Athens right now but it's not the Oklahoma job he's going to be taking there was like a weird rumor thing that popped up on Saturday that was you got to be careful about the fake news stuff and that kind of was that there briefly a little bit on Saturday night for the most part I don't know that anybody really took the bait on that but it's Venables going there and then I guess one more quick thought on this this is the big change that Dabo Swinney for the most part has avoided and that's not the only big change potentially coming to the uh to the to the Clemson program right now there's you know thought Tony Elliott could be on his way out uh there's obviously Brent Venables is gone now there's been some chatter that Dan Radakovich the Clemson athletic director he could be looking to move on there is a lot happening around Dabo Sweeney right now and he has enjoyed a lot of continuity and he's put that continuity to good work it's helped him build a very successful program at Clemson I think it's a very interesting offseason for Clemson. Very interesting offseason. Now, by the end of this year, 
Clemson was actually playing much better football and for the most part weathered the storm of the early losses that program suffered. But now it's a little bit of a tumultuous time to get ready for next season. And suddenly Clemson doesn't quite have the same level of of balance and stability to rest on that it's been enjoying, especially if Radakovich leaves. This could be kind of an interesting time to kind of observe whether Dabo Sweeney can keep Clemson at the level that it's been on. Uh, one more thing to get to here. This is not really SEC-related, although I guess it, it could have some impact on on George and the SEC a little bit. But there's been a lot of talk about Manny Diaz and the way in which he's being handled at Miami right now. So, And by the time any of you hear this, we may have more resolution on this. There's been some thought that Mario Cristobal, who knows the state of Florida very well, could be leaving Oregon and coming to Miami. He seems to be moving pretty slow on this. There were some incorrect rumors out there that he was going to inform his team yesterday afternoon that he was taking the Miami job. Coming to find out that was fake news. He was actually in San Diego, I believe, recruiting. Bob Stoops even kind of, I think, joked with him. Uh, the Bob is, of course, the interim Oklahoma coach for the bowl game and kind of joked with uh, Crystal Ball about that. So there was no planned meeting with the team yesterday to let them know he was taking the Miami job. And while this is ongoing, remember, Miami doesn't have an athletic director right now either. And so you've got Manny Diaz traveling around the state of Florida recruiting right now, knowing that he's either going to be asked to keep his job or he's going to find out that Cristobal is taking the job and therefore they're going to fire Diaz. They don't want to fire Diaz, so they know that Cristobal wants it. A lot of folks are talking about how you know poorly Diaz has been treated by all of this. Of course, there's some... There's some extenuating circumstances here in the fact that Diaz, I think, was going to be the what the Temple head coach after Jeff Collins left for, for Georgia Tech and kind of spurned them. So not everybody feels like that Diaz necessarily deserves better treatment than he's currently getting, whether that's fair or not. But the other thing is the reason why this is ongoing is because Diaz is going to make Miami fire him because he gets more money. He's not going to quit because he turns down some buyout money. Same thing that I think Mike Bobo probably had at the Auburn situation. You make him fire you because – you get more money for doing so. So <laughs> I realize that everybody right now is talking about how poorly Diaz is being treated by the by the Miami folks, but he's making a lot of money to be treated this way. He could end all of this by just quitting, but he ain't going to do that with all the buyout money that he would sacrifice for doing that. So that's the other story that's out there. And if Cristobal, who is a good recruiter, comes back to Florida, the state of Florida, I mean, that could be a factor for you know new uh, Florida coach Billy Napier, and obviously Georgia and Miami have crossed paths and recruiting there before too. So I guess do with that what you will. We'll make that your SEC through. And I want to give a quick shout out here to a group that I told you about there on Saturday. This is a, a really interesting thing. And, and to be honest with you, I try to keep up with everything that's going on in the world beyond just the world of football. And sometimes it's a little easier for me to do that than others. Obviously, one of the things you've heard a lot lately is the idea of cryptocurrency and what exactly that is. And I think for some of us, especially, you know, some of us who are a little more of an old school bent, uh, sometimes there can be a real mystery around the whole idea of crypto. So I think one of the cool things I can do for you right now is connect you with a company that can help you understand the world of crypto a little better, but also kind of connect you with some folks that like the dogs a lot, big UGA fans and, and, and folks that kind of already have a little bit of a connection to, to the 
you know, the, the, the group that we're a part of here around Dog Nation. Anyway, it's my friends at Space Dogs. Now, here's what Space Dogs is. They're going to take some of the mystery out of crypto for you. They're going to explain to you how you can safely spend your money, your crypto, and buy all the things you like to buy this time of year. A lot of folks doing a lot of spending online, things like that. And obviously the process of, you know, crypto can sometimes make that easier, or really all the ways in which you transact business. Uh, what Space Dogs can do for you is certainly a way to, to do that better, especially with a couple of the products they specifically have available their dog's wallet which is a crypto wallet and their space card uh this is going to help take some of that crypto mystery away for you and help you understand exactly why maybe this is a space you ought to be involved in maybe this is a you know a, a way of kind of moving into the future that maybe it's time to consider with all that so if you haven't done this yet uh check out my friends at space dogs learn more about the the, the, the crypto world, learn more about how their products like the dog's wallet, the space card can help you there with that. They also have a really cool um, uh, uh, coin there too. learn more about this. Go to dogs.io. That's the website. It's dogs.io. You can learn more about the crypto process. You can learn more about how all the ways in which uh, space dog can work for you can make the things you're buying a safer, more secure process. That's what Space Dogs can do for you today. So check out dogs.io. I should say dogs.io on that. One more time on the website. It's dogs.io. Really cool new company, Space Dogs. So I'm going to read the room here just for a moment. And I'm going to assume that people aren't really quite in the mood for a uh, golden shoe here today. So we're going to obviously get back to that and have a great time. I mean, people will be happier. again. It always seems like in the heat of the moment after a loss, and this happens every time Georgia loses, in the heat of a moment after a loss, people are just devastated. And I, I get that. I'm right there with you. Trust me. On Saturday night, if I could have crawled under the seats at Mercedes-Benz Stadium and stayed there for three or four days, I guess I probably would have. But eventually you feel better again, and eventually we'll have some fun again. We'll go back to mocking the Gators and, you know, everybody else. Maybe one of these days we'll even get a chance to mock Alabama too. But for now, the attention's got to be on the rest of the month. Getting ready for Michigan, college football playoff, Orange Bowl. It is going to be fun. It's going to be a blast. And then thinking about that showdown with Florida next October in Jacksonville. We're still doing Gator Hater Countdown because Georgia's going to get a win in Jacksonville again next year, 327 days from right now. Appreciate you being here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Palo Window and Door of Georgia. And we'll see you tomorrow. And on the podcast, I'm now at the R.S. Andrews Podcast Cooldown. I'll take a few of your comments here. Obviously, you can always send those at dognation.com or here in the Twitter as well, at dognationdaily. I did a lot of this on video today. I want to try to give you all the, the same opportunity here. And I guess some of this we'll probably do tomorrow as react to what was said on today's show because I know a little bit, it seems like the comment section for the podcast is always kind of a day behind because obviously it's an on-demand product. You hear it and then you react to it after the fact. I do get that. But I want to read you a few of the tweets I've got here lately. And, you know, eventually we'll kind of turn the page to happier subjects. But uh, Dory Jones writes in to say, did Saturday's upset prove we need to be more focused on recruiting the elite quarterback? What I think about that is, is that Georgia is as focused on recruiting elite quarterbacks as it is elite players at all positions. And frankly, it's a part of the competition for great quarterbacks as much as any program is but there are truly a small number few top shelf guys even within the category of five-star quarterbacks there are players that separate themselves from other five stars and that may be one of those things that maybe seems sometimes more true after the fact but people who kind of do that for a living can really identify that you know occasionally you have 
you know, not just five-star quarterback, but take like Trevor Lawrence, for instance. I think Justin Fields like this a little bit too. You know, guys who were even in the category of five-stars, they're a step above that, you know. Lawrence was capable of starting for Clemson almost right away, led them to a national championship, that there are just a handful of great quarterbacks that are even better than their competition who, by appearances, are also great. And right now, Georgia takes a back seat in the recruiting of the truly top-of-the-top quarterbacks and the truly top-of-the-top wide receivers. Now, that doesn't mean that Georgia doesn't have enough talent to win. And when you look at the way in which Georgia's collected talent at the quarterback position, guys like Brock Vandegrift and Gunnar Stockton, who's coming in, Carson Beck, who's there now, the wide receiver success stories, which are way better than it used to be. I mean, Georgia went 10 years from 2009 to 2019 without signing a five-star receiver. They broke through that in 2019 by signing George Pickens. And over the course of the last three recruiting cycles, signed a total of four receivers who were ranked in the top 10 in the country at their position that it is getting better but it's one of those areas in which the transformation isn't maybe happening as quick as some folks would like and maybe there's a chance it never quite gets there to the level that like the very best offenses have been at the Alabamas the Ohio States LSU I'll put them in that category certainly Oklahoma when Lincoln Riley was there but You can't say that an offensive transformation at Georgia isn't occurring. Georgia's probably scoring about 10 more points per game in 2021 than it did in 2019 and a full touchdown per game more than it did last year. So Georgia's getting better offensively, but but it just kind of shows you how far away it had to go. Mickey Hot Takes writes writes in on Twitter about the idea that offensive guys might transfer. I mean, the problem is, is the moment this season's done, whenever it does end, whether it be first day of January or the middle of January, then obviously there's going to be all kinds of transfer rumors around Georgia, and I expect guys to leave. Uh, I, I don't know there's anything you can do about that. In other words, some people are going to use transfer rumor this, transfer rumor that as some sort of evidence that that Georgia's got problems. The thing that's the problem, though, is the current system in college football. I think it's a little too easy to transfer. Some of you disagree with that, but I, I, I think it's the it's the Wild West created by the transfer portal that's the real problem here. And I don't believe that Georgia can be immune to that, nor can any program be immune to that. The only thing you can control, I believe, is who you bring into a program. You can't really control the way in which guys exit or how they exit. And you know, maybe it doesn't hit Georgia's bad, but. But ultimately, that's just kind of the landscape that we live in, that when it's as easy to transfer as it is right now, there are going to be some people who want to take advantage of that. Grandpa Pappy, um, I don't know if that's a Pappy Van Winkle reference or if that's his nickname that his grandkids call him. But either way, Grandpa Pappy uh, checks in to say, we can't play our defensive backs 10 yards off the ball and do weird zone coverages where everyone looks confused better to risk man and getting beat over the top I sort of agree with that and I always feel the need to I don't know I don't know why I always catch this but I I do feel the need to do this like I have heard Georgia coaches talk about football before and it's almost like listening to Einstein talk about physics I mean the level with which they talk about this stuff is almost beyond the conversational level it's it's that advanced and so I always feel a little bit silly trying to say what I know compared to what they know and clearly what they know is so much more but just as a general sense I agree with what Grandpa Pappy said there I'd rather die quick than die slow I really would that 
and I hear this oftentimes said in NFL circles that you can simplify the game to the point of if you're not getting the quarterback, you have to keep sending guys until you are, and it may get worse and worse for you as you keep sending guys. Uh, and obviously that requires more and more man coverage as you do that. Uh, the one thing that Kirby Smart said on Saturday night was is that Auburn played Alabama better in man coverage than Georgia did. And I don't know why that is, because um, you wouldn't typically think that the Auburn defensive backs are better than Georgia, certainly. Maybe some of this is related to Auburn didn't have to face Jamison Williams for the full game because he got the targeting ejection. But I kind of agree with Pappy on this, that as opposed to you know dying slowly, so to speak, and hoping that Bryce Young doesn't sit back there and pick you apart, which clearly on Saturday he did, you know, at least be aggressive enough that you find out pretty quick if you can hang in this football game or not. I kind of agree with that. Gary Harris VO checks in to say the loss will hopefully give us a change to make some corrections. The undefeated season gave us the mulligan we needed. Now we just need to drive it down the middle of the fairway and eagle this next hole. Yeah, good analogy from Gary. And people don't want to hear this today, but it's none no less true that the story for George entering the playoffs is not a one-game story, the fact that it looked terrible against Alabama. It's a 13-game story. The fact that Georgia played well enough for 12 games that it could overcome looking terrible against Alabama. And that's not supposed to make you feel better about the loss. It's just supposed to add to the consideration that for most people way back in August, if I could have told you 12-1, and SEC champion, I should say SEC runner-up, Michigan in the playoff, I think most people would say, yep, that's about what you would want because Georgia was commonly picked to finish behind Alabama at the very beginning of the season. So I'm not trying to tell you that, oh, man, it doesn't matter what happened against Alabama. You should be happy. I'm not trying to tell you that. I'm trying to tell you that eventually you will be happy again. Eventually you will return to the emotional state you were in back in the summer or as recently as a few weeks ago that being in the college football playoff was and is still a very good thing. And I honestly do expect Georgia to play better. I sort of expect them to play better even if there isn't a reasonable explanation for why they will because there's really no reasonable explanation for why Alabama was so much better against Georgia than it had been the previous week against Auburn. That is sometimes just how college football goes. Marcus Samuel Gelbar says, maybe since he upsets Alabama, then Georgia beats Cincinnati. Ever consider that? <laughs> I wonder about all of that. First of all, you know, Cincinnati did keep it close with Georgia a year ago. I don't think this Cincy team is as good as that Cincy team was. I don't expect them to keep it close with Alabama. But if they did, I mean, I'm telling you right now, I don't care how Georgia wins a national championship. Uh, I ain't coming down off the clouds for three days once they do, or maybe three weeks, or maybe three years. So, there is zero concern for me about how Georgia wins a national championship. I'll just be happy that it happens. But it will be one of those things where there will be that um, initial elation of, oh, yeah, uh, avoid Alabama. But then maybe a little bit of a taste of, oh, I would like to get some revenge against the Crimson Tide. Be that as it may, one way or another, the only thing that will matter to me is hoisting that trophy however Georgia gets it. Uh, Dred Sanders on the subject of wide receivers. Yeah, Alabama obviously has had an unbelievable collection of receivers. And here's the one thing I'd love to ask someone who's smart enough 
to answer this. And around Alabama, it's always hard finding someone smart enough to give you the answers that you want. But how did Alabama get all those receivers to begin with? Because it's easy to get them now. Guys like Ajayi Hall and Jamison Williams and the guys who've come to the program, they're obviously just following the footsteps of guys who've succeeded. But here's the one thing that people seem to forget. That the thing that transformed Alabama's program was not the quarterback play, at least primarily. The evolution that was undertaken while Lane Kiffin was offensive coordinator, I believe, was actually spurred by the wide receivers. That, that In that 2017 class, they signed Henry Ruggs and Jerry Judy and Devontae Smith in the same class. And when Tuatunga Vailoa finally emerged as a starting quarterback in 2018, I'm talking about for the full season, when they were setting all those records, it was really the receivers that he was throwing to that that helped make that happen. And then prior to that, other than Calvin Ridley, you know, Alabama hadn't had, like, great receiver play. I guess you want to say um, you had Ridley, and then before that, who was the – why am I blanking on his name? Uh, uh, went to the Raiders, I think. What was his name? Um, why am I blanking on the guy's first-round pick that went to the Raiders before that? I mean, maybe that was enough to convince other receivers to go there. I, I don't know. Let me see if I can – who is it? Yes, Amari Cooper. That's right, Amari Cooper. Um that maybe Cooper to Ridley was enough track record for those you know, receivers to say we're coming to Alabama. But you know, Alabama broke through with the receiver position, and now they get everybody they want. And right now, Georgia just doesn't have that same level of success at that position. At any other position, Georgia gets almost everything that it wants. Unfortunately, you know, quarterback to a degree, wide receiver to an even greater degree – Georgia just doesn't get first pick on those guys, and as it turns out, those are probably the two position groups that matter as much as anything here at the moment. Uh, Fantastic Six says, I'm not going to solely blame Stetson Bennett because the kid played his heart out, but do you think it's time to have a change at quarterback? Also, I think our weak spot have been the defensive backs the whole year. Yeah, Georgia's always had a little bit of a vulnerability this season, that defensive back spot. We knew teams would try to exploit it. I think we just hoped that Georgia could mitigate that exploitation by – how well the front seven played on Saturday that did not happen as far as making the change at quarterback I absolutely believe it should be considered I don't think it is going to happen at least based on the chatter right now and I don't fully understand why I really don't um but I do think it should be considered I I I do I mean I just think when you see any area in which you're not matching up with uh with you know the very best team in the country right now which for now appears to be Alabama I think you want to say, well, what can Georgia do to change that? And when you talk about defensive back vulnerabilities, I don't think there's any personnel switch that can be made. Georgia's moving those guys around. I think they're playing them in different ways. They're just trying to figure out you know, what they can do to, to use what they have. The thing that puts the spotlight on the quarterback position is not just the fact that it's the most talked about position in all sports, but it also seems to be the position where you could make a personnel switch if you wanted to. But Georgia, Kirby Smart in particular here, seems – content not to do that and as I said during the regular broadcast and we'll wrap up after this I'm not going to assume the worst of Kirby I'm not going to assume that he's not making this switch because he's some sort of egomaniac or I guess megalomaniac might be a better way of saying that that he's just so obsessed with his own power that that he's just gonna do whatever he wants to despite even the the, the feelings of the uh, of the much larger masses. 
I don't think the worst of Kirby here on this. I don't have any reason not to think the best of him. That he's trying to make the best possible decision he can for his team, and somehow, as weird as it is, Bennett has become in his mind, and maybe in the mind of the lieutenants that he's trusting to advise him, that somehow Bennett's become the best guy. I'm sure Smart can't say the full story on this, and sometimes things like this in life are there isn't just one reason or there isn't a specific reason. It's kind of a preponderance of things that just sort of add up to a decision. Sometimes that's just the way that things go. Like, why did you choose to buy one car over another? It just eventually kind of felt right. Uh, or mo- take this one job, move to this town, as opposed to take that job, move to that town. It just sort of felt lo- like the right thing to do. There may not be this, like, smoking gun hidden in a closet somewhere, to mix metaphors, of, of, of why Daniels became not the guy just over the course of time, they chose to move away from him. And it is probably true that they chose to move away from him more so than they chose to chose to move to Stetson. All decisions kind of work out that way. You've heard it said before that like homicide, suicide, you know, all these words, the, you know, killing off, you know, decide is to kill off other options. You're really eliminating other options. So what has happened here is not the gravitational pull towards Stetson. Somehow it was the decision to move away from JT. And I wish that Smart could be a little bit more forthcoming about why that is. He's choosing not to do that. But based on what I can see as an outsider to the program looking in, a quarterback change ought to be considered. But I don't get the impression that's exactly what George is going to do. So that's it, and that's kind of where things stand right now. We'll take some more of your comments tomorrow. Once again, it's part of our R.S. Andrews podcast, Cool Down. You can find R.S. Andrews online, rsandrews.com, for your air conditioning, heating, plumbing, and electric needs. Hope all of you have a great day, and tomorrow we'll be on to happier things because Georgia is in the college football playoff, and that is truly a very good thing. Historic matchup against Michigan, historic return to the Orange Bowl for the first time in a long time. That's going to be cool, I can promise you. So we'll get into it starting tomorrow. Thanks for being here. R.S. Andrews Cool Down. We'll see you tomorrow. Dog Nation Daily presented by Palo Window and Door of Georgia. We will look forward to talking to you then.